Welcome to Stories from Among the Stars. You're listening to The Last Watch by J.S. Dewis. Chapter 20 Cavallon woke to find a weapons belt draped across his chest. The laser pistol he'd had before had been replaced with a sleeker, dark chrome gun of similar size. He had to assume it was a plasma pistol from the station's armory, or at least he hoped. He lifted his head, then sat up slowly, expecting a surge of nausea to overwhelm him, but none came. His head spun, but once upright he felt normal, decent even. His raw throat still ached, and he didn't think he'd ever find cause to consume food again. Otherwise, he didn't feel half bad. He rubbed his stomach, grateful it had given up on trying to murder him. While he'd slept, the once-empty room had been transformed into a makeshift medbay. Six cots sat against the walls, with stacks of aerosteel cases between them, lined with biotools, cartridges, and various other medical supplies but not a sentinel to be seen. He hoped that didn't mean the drudgers had arrived. Not that he'd lament missing out on all the fun, but he'd feel a little bad if he'd managed to snooze through the whole thing. He fastened the weapons belt around his waist and walked out into the brightly lit hallway. At the end of the corridor toward the airlock, Warner and two others stood post. Cavallon headed the other way toward a light murmur of chatter. The next doorway stood ajar, and inside, the remainder of the sentinels had taken up shop. Emery and two other soldiers snoozed on cots in one corner. Another two chatted quietly between themselves while chewing on bricks of brown gravel that Cavallon assumed were MREs. The dark-haired woman who'd given him the shot sat cross-legged against the wall on the other side of the room, cleaning her gun methodically. A half-dozen filled warp cores lined one wall casting the room in a soft blue glow that reminded Cavallon of the vast network of glass tunnels under the oceans of Viridus. Only without the school of Imanis sharks hovering, looking hungrily down at the humans watching them. Though Cavallon thought he might prefer the vicious six-meter-long sea creatures to the horde of drudgers that might be lurking outside. He didn't know how much time had passed, but considering how far along the Sentinels' base camp efforts had come, he assumed it had been at least an hour or two. The efficiency with which they'd put all this together impressed him. It was as if they'd run the abandoned ship to the nearest defunct Apollo gate drill dozens of times, and being the oh-so-helpful tool that he was, Cavallon had slept right through it. Just like that, he'd become a totally useless outsider again. He stepped into the room, finding a clear piece of wall away from the others to lean against. He let out a sigh, louder than he'd intended. The soldiers eating MREs looked over at him passively, but soon returned to their soft chatter. He didn't know any of them, and he could only imagine what they thought of him. To them, he was just the guy who'd started a fight in the mess less than four hours after intake. The guy who was so obviously not a soldier, everyone seemed to immediately know and the guy who'd somehow ended up here, alive and well, even though their friends were all dead. His eyes drifted over the six soldiers, and despite his sincerest objection, his mind tallied up the reminder of those he'd seen in the SGL. Fourteen total. Only fourteen of the two hundred people on the Argus were here. 
a mass twisted in his gut with a realization, because by all rights, he should have been on that dreadnought when it went down. Rake sending him on that mission had been a fluke, a temporary lapse in judgment by an otherwise rational mind. Or maybe she'd wanted to test his mettle, see if her shit-cutting exercises had sunken in. Either way, if she hadn't forced him onto that Hermes, he'd be dead right now. He didn't know why being alive upset him. It's not like he'd asked Rake to pull him into all this. It wasn't his fault. The remaining sentinels didn't really seem to care or even notice. Regardless, an annoying bitter weight that felt suspiciously like guilt had lodged itself deep in his gut. A short, thin woman walked through the doorway and landed beside him. Cavallon did his best to avoid eye contact until he realized with a start who it was. Mesa. He hardly recognized her. She'd changed from the embroidered jumpsuit into a regulation uniform. The straight lines appeared even more boxy and utilitarian on her lithe form. Her black hair had been drawn into a single, long plate down her back. She gave Cavallon a curt nod, then held up a clear plastic water canteen. After expelling so much bodily fluid, she said, it is important to hydrate. He frowned. Heard that, huh? Everyone heard it, she said decisively. His cheeks warmed. Great, so now he was also the guy that had obnoxiously thrown up for an hour straight. He took the water bottle. Thank you. She nodded once. He gave her uniform a pointed once over. So, you're a combat soldier now, huh? I always have been, she said simply. What? I thought you said savants didn't enlist. I did say savants did not enlist. I did not say I did not enlist. Well then, he lifted the new chrome pistol from his holster. You can help me with this thing then, right? She made a small clicking sound with her tongue, then sighed heavily. She took the weapon from him and slid open a compartment on the side, revealing some kind of power cell. She dumped the charge into her hand and held it out. This is a standard IGW cartridge. He blinked and flashed a grin. She pursed her lips. Ionized gas weapon, she explained. In this instance, a standard issue plasma pistol. It is very simple. Smaller end goes forward. She held up the narrower end, capped with light silver metal, then dropped it back into the compartment and slid it shut. Point and shoot, no prime required. She dropped the pistol back in his holster, then pointed a thin finger to his knife. That, I am fairly certain, is pointy end forward to the face. Cavallon let out a short laugh. Face! Mesa draped her hands together. Eyes, specifically. He grinned. Not chest, not heart, face. Damn. She licked her lips, unaffected by his amusement. As I am sure you realize the viator, and thus drudge her, torso is completely covered by the carapace-like plating, which comprises their protective exoskeleton. The muscle tissue within is so dense, and the exoskeleton structure so concentrated, and the spacing between plates so narrow, that the viator ventricle unit, which sits perfectly centered within the chest cavity, Cavallon's eyebrows raised as Mesa took a deep breath, is incredibly difficult to reach particularly for those inexperienced with combat. The corner of his mouth pulled up. Yeah, yeah, okay. 
I will definitely go for the eyeballs first. She nodded curtly, seeming pleased he intended to take her advice. Then, when they are blinded, she continued, you can take your time finding the correct attack point to reach their aortic vessel. She lifted his arm and drew two fingers along his flank. The best access point is here, where the fourth and fifth rib meet and wrap around to the spine, though it is their sixth and seventh rib. The spacing is very, very narrow, perhaps a millimeter, so it will be very difficult to insert, assuming the individual dredger's plating even allows for it. You will have to apply a great deal of thrust. Cavallon chuckled, but she didn't seem to notice. Depending on girth, she continued, and he had to bite his lip to keep from laughing. The organ can be located as deep as 12 to 20 centimeters within the thoracic cavity. If you need additional time to locate it, you can also puncture one of three respiratory organs to subdue them further. She used two fingers to point out one spot at each collarbone and one at the base of his neck. Her brow furrowed and she huffed. This is somewhat pointless without a proper anatomical model. She glanced over her shoulder as if she expected to find a drudger carcass lying around to use as a subject. Cavallon grinned fully, no longer trying to temper his amused incredulity. Mesa was fucking scary. It's okay, really, he said. I'll keep all that in mind, thanks. Mesa lifted her chin. You are welcome. Though it's been hours... Maybe they're not coming? Adversaries rarely appear when it is convenient. True. Well, he held up the water canteen toward her. Here's to hoping they have better things to do than monitor a busted Apollo gate at the ass edge of the universe. Mesa pinched her lips together like she'd tasted something sour. Yes, here's to hoping. He took a deep swig from the canteen, and it tasted like ice-cold heaven fierce and dark and beyond refreshing. The cold water surged down his throat and coated his stomach, and the welcome chill raced directly into his blood. He coughed lightly as he pulled the canteen away from his lips, shocked by the water's intensity. Mesa's over-large eyes regarded him steadily. He stared back. She cleared her throat. That water is laced with epithesium. He laughed. Oh, yeah? For subcellular hydration, avioli oxidation, etc., for energy. Yeah, I know what it is. It is natural and perfectly safe. You have experienced a trauma. Thank you, he said. She gave a small nod. He took another swig, this time less surprised by how intensely refreshing it tasted. You seem to know a lot about all this fighting stuff. Did you serve in the resurgence? I no longer fight. She said plainly, as if that in any way answered the question. But it is all knowledge, like anything else. I find that can be an equally powerful weapon when correctly applied. She straightened her back and kept her eyes on him. I think that may be something we agree on. Cavallon smiled. Yeah, I think so. Mesa let out a small sigh, and for the first time, Cavallon noticed how bloodshot her eyes were. Her beige complexion had lost some of its warmth, thin blue veins visible through the skin. Have you had a chance to get any rest? He asked. She shook her head once. Now is as good a time as any, I suppose. You can sleep easy, he assured, patting the pistol on his thigh. Because now I know how to use this. 
A thin smile spread across her face. I have never felt safer. He inclined his head. I do what I can. She took a few steps toward the doorway, then turned back. If you are wondering what it is you should be doing, consider finding your commanding officer. Right, he had one of those now. He nodded. Good idea. Thanks, Mesa. I mean, sir? You are welcome. She strode away, shoulders straight, hands clasped firmly behind her back as she rounded the corner. Cavallon finished the rest of his water, and feeling particularly energetic, strode out into the hallway to look for Puck. Warner and the two circuiters still kept watch at the end of the corridor. The older male circuiter with wild red hair elbowed the blonde female circuiter as Cavallon approached. Warner nodded in greeting. Hey there, Princeps. You met circuiters Arandis and Murillo? I have not, he said, giving the pair a courteous nod. The stocky, red-haired Arandis quirked a brow at Warner. This the guy? The royal? Aw, oh, come on, Cavallon glared at Warner. I thought we were buddies. Warner narrowed his eyes. Buddies? You know, like comrades in arms? We survive battle together, then we don't share secrets about each other? Warner stared placidly at him. Cavallon frowned. That meant nothing to you, did it? Are those tats like rake and box? Arandis asked. Uh, I'm not sure, actually, Cavallon said. Wait, who's Bach? He flies the Tempest. Oh, right, the hunky centurion, the other titan. Which family are you from? Murillo asked. My cousin once dated a Saxton, said they're all total narcissists. That's true, Cavallon gave a sharp nod. Oh, what about Watts? Arandis asked. A guy I dated at Basic had an uncle who worked for Watts Automation, said they were obsessed with keeping the bloodlines clean, all kinds of incest. Uh, yeah, also true, Cavallon diverted his gaze. They were narrowing down the families pretty quick. It might be best to get out before the process of elimination prevailed. To his surprise, Warner gave reprieve. Come on, guys, we don't need to grill the guy. What do you need, Princeps? I'm looking for Circuitor Puck. Warner pointed down the hallway behind him. Control room's about 50 meters down on the left. Thanks, big guy. Cavallon gave Warner a pat on the back, then headed into the hall. 50 meters down on the left, he peeked his head through the doorway. Rake stood with her arms crossed beside Jackin, who leaned over a terminal, swiping away at the holographic display. Puck sat at a terminal on the opposite side of the triangular platform, leaned back in his chair, resting both hands atop his head, eyes heavy and bloodshot. We should have a plan B, he said. I had them stockpile warp cores, Jackin replied. We'll need quite a collection if we end up having to warp to Arisgate. Will there be enough? Rake asked. Enough Asium? Yes. Enough cores? I don't know. There's a starboard fuel depot as well. We might find more empty cores there. Let's wait until we can coordinate a full team to head that far into the station, Rake said. Everyone needs to get some rest first. For now, let's stay focused on getting a hold of the Legion. Rake, Jackin began. What? Jackin continued carefully. They abandoned this gate and didn't even tell us. So what? They'll send help if they find out what happened. I don't know if that's true. Really? 
You think if we get a hold of them, they're just going to say, sorry, we're out, best of luck? Jackin scoffed. Honestly, boss? Maybe. Puck covered his face with both hands and breathed deeply. Cavallon went unnoticed as he stepped up to lean against the doorframe. Then I'll talk to Lujan, Rakes said, tone firm. They're not just going to leave us here. We don't need anything from the Legion in order to start the gate, Jackin said. We can say fuck comms and focus efforts on that. You can make the call. This is the call, she said. We can't put a Hermes through an Apollo gate anyway. It's too risky. Puck sighed and dropped his hands. She's right about that, Optio. Rake nodded her appreciation then turned back to Jackin. We need them to send a vessel. We're stuck until they do. Get the Legion on the horn. Okay, boss. He ran his hands down his face. But we've had no luck so far, and it's been hours. What more can we do? She asked. I've been avoiding it because it'll take internal comms down as well, Jackin said. But we can do a full manual reboot of the mainframe and comms systems. Even if it doesn't help with comms, the sensor grid is on the fritz too. We didn't get more than a few minutes warning when the dredger ship arrived. A reboot might help that as well. Okay, let's try it, Rake said. We have to do it manually, from the server room. I'll go. It's at the other end of the station and the conveyance system's down. It's at least a 40-minute walk one way. Sounds good. Remember that sleeping thing you promised to do? He scolded. I'm fine, she insisted. I need to be doing something. I can't take all this waiting around. All right, Jack and huffed. But when you get back, you're sleeping, whether it's willfully or not. Fine, Rake agreed. You wouldn't be the first subordinate to render me unconscious today. They both looked to Puck. He raised his eyebrows, entwined his hands, then stretched them high above his head before leaning back over his console and busying himself. Rake patted Jackin's back firmly. She picked up a weapons belt and strapped it around her waist, then turned and marched toward Cavalon. He stepped back, worried he'd be reprimanded for listening in, but she hardly registered his presence. Jackin called after her. Don't go alone. What if... Rake ignored the optio, giving Cavalon a nod as she passed on her way out the door. Cavalon watched her go, and when he turned back, he found Jackin staring at him. Cavalon diverted his gaze to his feet. He rubbed a light scuff mark on the toe of one boot with the heel of the other. Oculus, Jackin said. Yes, sorry, sir, just looking for Puck. I wasn't sure what I should, uh be doing? Jackin crossed his arms. You feeling better? Good as new, sir. A groaning creak of metal rang out from the direction Rake had gone. Cavallon looked over his shoulder but couldn't see her. Jackin let out a slow sigh. Go with the EX, please. Uh, yes, sir. Cavallon gave a quick, awkward salute. He hadn't tried that yet. It felt weird. By the grimace Jackin gave him, it must have looked equally strange. Cavallon shrugged it off and turned to hurry after Rake. Chapter 21 Rake had already made it ten meters down the corridor. Cavallon quickened his pace to catch up. 
His small weapons locker sat recessed in the wall, and the once locked metal door rested mangled and warped on the ground below it. Cavallon stopped to look in. A single plasma rifle was missing from the half dozen lined up inside the locker. His fingers drifted to the small pistol on his thigh. Though it should, in theory, do the trick if they encountered a stray drudger on the way, the station weapons looked far more formidable. Besides, following Rake's instincts had to be the right call. He grabbed one of the rifles, then took an extra power cartridge and hurried after her. Mercer, she growled, glaring at him but not decelerating her pace. What are you doing? Uh, Optio North... He almost dropped the rifle and ammo, stumbling as the floor sloped upward. He, uh, told me to go with you. He did, did he? She muttered. Cavallon couldn't quite infer how best to respond, so instead he focused first on walking, and second on trying to figure out how to load the rifle. He fumbled with it for a minute until Rake turned and snatched it away from him. Without missing a step, she pulled her already loaded rifle off her back, dropped it into his hands, loaded his in one fluid movement, then slung it across her back. Cavallon pulled the strap of his new rifle over one shoulder. Despite her purposeful march, he kept up easily, and his heart thrummed, and fingers twitched with unused energy. The cold epithesium still coursed through his veins, making his body and mind restless. Rake took a sharp right to head down another corridor, and the walls narrowed as they wound their way deeper into the station. After a few more minutes of silence, Cavallon took a couple of quick steps to fall in next to Rake. So, why'd Puck punch you? He asked. Sir, she grimaced. To force me to abandon ship. Cavallon nodded, not in any way surprised. He'd been wondering how they'd stopped her from going down with the Argus. Though he had to admit, his congenial CO punching her into submission hadn't been the first on his list of possible explanations. It also explained her half-angry, half-annoyed, and fully despondent attitude. She'd been forced to leave most of her soldiers behind. And from the sound of it, the Legion hadn't done a damn thing to prevent it from happening. But that seemed like a grim topic he wasn't quite ready to broach. So, uh, AJ, huh? he said. What's the J stand for? She ignored him, staying focused on the corridor as they walked. It's only fair, right? He continued. I mean, you know mine. Augustus? Ugh, dick. He rolled his eyes. I bet he wishes he hadn't given me his name now, huh? Thanks for keeping that from the others, by the way. Or trying to. I think they're going to figure it out. These imprints are like a beacon, and I'm so clearly not a soldier, and they already know I'm not a Saxton or a Watts, and this fucking blonde hair- Bloody hell recruit, she said in disbelief. Did someone give you Quill or something? He gaped, dropping his hand away from mussing up his hair. Why would the Legion have psychotropics on board? Her face tightened into an incredulous scowl. Void, they don't. I was joking. Ah, epithesium, sir. What? Mesa put some epithesium in my water. Actually, she said she laced it. That sounds kind of nefarious, doesn't it? Did you know she enlisted? How much did she put in? I have no idea. It's been a while since I've had any. I forgot how awesome it is. He drummed his fingers in the air and grinned. Tingly a bit. Well, calm down, Oculus. You had a rough go of it. 
If you get too worked up, you'll end up over that latrine again before we know it. No, thank you. Okay, I'll calm down, sir. It's your turn anyway, so go ahead. My turn? Yeah, you told the one about the old explorer guy who wanted revenge. I told the one about the boy and how he ended up at the Divide. So? So it's a thing now. No, it's not. Which means it's your turn, she scoffed. I don't think so. You could tell the one about the girl, he prompted. How she ended up at the Divide? She gave him a stoic glare that sent a shiver up his spine. That's classified, he laughed. I knew you were gonna say that. Rake refocused on the corridor in front of her and didn't respond. Though certainly curious about how she'd ended up on the Argus, what he really wanted to know was how her faith in the Legion had remained so steadfast, despite how poorly they treated the Sentinels. He'd have grown bitter long ago, and though he didn't consider himself the most steadfast person in the universe, he was fairly certain extending her faith this long should be considered nothing short of delusional. Maybe that specific story is classified, he assented. But you must know more stories. How about the girl who became the most lauded titan of our generation? Origin stories are the best. What's this all about, Oculus? Why all the questions? You said you like knowing someone before you ask them to risk their life for you. Yeah? He cleared his throat. Well, I like knowing the people who are asking me to risk my life. It hadn't sounded so serious in his head, but it caused her scowl to fade, and she grew quiet for a few long moments. That's fair. And that little hull jaunt makes... Cavallon counted off to himself. The third time since we met, arguably four. The muscles in her jaw flexed. Four? Dumping those warheads does not count. Oh no? Well, what if I'd dropped one and the command trigger wiring had sparked the firing set and triggered the missile? You're making that up. You don't know that, he huffed. Sir? Rake just shook her head. They reached a peak in the hallway and the floors began to slope down instead of up. The slanted, scaled walls became subtly wider again, indicating they'd passed the center of the gate and were on their way out to the starboard edge. Cavallon rubbed the nape of his neck, unsure of how to prompt Rake without pissing her off. Okay, he said finally. He gave her a grin, which she completely ignored. I'll take a stab at it myself. He threw his shoulder back to reseat the awkwardly long plasma rifle, then rubbed his hands together. Just let me know when I veer off track. She let out a long breath through her nose, but to his surprise said, fine. Once upon a time, there was a legion brat, at least third generation. Her exhausted head shake indicated he'd already gotten it dead wrong, but he continued anyway. Eldest child of a pair of Legion officers, she grew up in the Corps, but always dreamed of following in her parents' footsteps, and at age 18 she enlisted, ready to sail for the stars. He swept his hand in an arc in front of him, showcasing the imaginary vista. He looked over at her and smiled. Damn, she said. You're terrible at this. Feel free to correct me. Rake pushed a strand of hair out of her face. Well, she was a single child from the outer core, came from a shit planet with shitty parents and even shittier relatives who begrudgingly took her in after the shitty parents died. Cavallon frowned. Well, fuck, he really had been wrong. 
Outer core, huh? He said. Whereabouts? Unlikely you've heard of it. Probably have, honestly. It was a key feature of my princely training to learn about all the places outside SC jurisdiction we might be able to exploit. You'd have to fight the Saxtons for it. Seneca 4. Void, that shithole? A wave of heat flooded his face. I mean, no offense. She gave a firm shake of her head. None taken. I stopped claiming any association with it long ago. The Saxtons run a tidy little mining outfit out of there, right? If you want to call forced labor a tidy little outfit, then yeah. Shit. Warmth crept into his neck and ears, and he scratched at the stubble on his jawline. There he went again, with his sociopathic tendencies. Sorry, sir, he said quickly. I, uh, I didn't mean to make light of it. I really do realize how bad things are in the outer core. It's fine. He cleared his throat, considering what to make of her lack of outward emotion. So, uh, if she was all the way out in Seneca, how'd she end up a legionnaire? The legion was the only way off-world, so when she was 16, she ran away and enlisted. Cavalon gaped, then stumbled, almost tripping over his own feet. She was 16 when she enlisted? That meant she'd been with the Legion half her life. Uh, how'd she join so young? He asked, taking a few quick steps to catch back up. She told him she was 18. She gave a small shrug. The recruitment officer didn't really believe her, but he probably felt bad for her. Bad for her? Why? Kid shows up looking like that? Her brow furrowed. Asking just to push a mop or spit shine your boots, so long as it's anywhere but there? Took some begging, but it wasn't hard to convince him. Cavalon waggled his eyebrows. Oh, she used her feminine wiles? There was that if looks could kill glare again. Cavalon gulped. Don't be disgusting, she chided. Sorry, he said, rubbing the back of his neck. And he really was. For whatever reason, she'd decided to be candid with him. He hadn't meant to derail it with one of his asinine comments. His worry eased with a twinge of relief as she continued of her own accord. She didn't want to exploit his sympathy, she explained, eyes flickering to the floor. She almost sounded ashamed, like the only improper thing she'd ever done in her life had been to schmooze this guy into lying on her intake paperwork. Yet Cavallon had to smile at the mental image, a doe-eyed young rake with grease-smeared cheeks, batting her eyelashes at some gruff, no-nonsense legion recruiter. But she had to, Rake continued. It had been too hard for too long. Enough was enough. Cavallon's amusement faded, and he swallowed, not entirely sure what to say. Part of him wanted to know every grimy detail, but he also really, really didn't. The thought of Rake, subdued to the point where the best option had been to join the Legion at a time when they were on the cusp of all-out war. He couldn't begin to imagine it, and he didn't want to. He cleared his throat. So, even after they got you, her, off-world, she stuck with it? All those years? At first it was a means to an end. She gave a small shrug. But she stayed, because it was structured and safe, and really the only thing that ever made sense. Cavallon's amped-up zest dwindled along with the realization. This blind faith of hers wasn't at all what he'd assumed. 
It didn't come from some regimented upbringing where everything began and ended with the Legion. She wasn't a mindless soldier drone born and bred to serve. The Legion had taken her in and raised her, rescued her, maybe even saved her life. It was far worse than he'd thought. He had to wonder if she'd ever be able to accept what had already become painfully clear to everyone but her. The Legion was wholly unconcerned with the likes of the Sentinels. They walked in silence for a few minutes, eventually crossing into a familiar area, the corridor that ran along the outside of the starboard airlocks. Cavallon barely recognized it under the wash of white overheads instead of the grim, red emergency lighting of his last visit. He paused outside the sealed-off secondary airlock of S-6 and peeked through the small observation window. Inside, a handful of drudger corpses floated aimlessly, their ashen skin now an icy blue-gray. Rake retreated a few steps and peered in as well. Guess it got the airlock sealed in time. We could have docked this side after all. Cavallon nodded as he watched the bodies float, five of which had been killed in the fight, and at least another three or four that had been sucked out before the gate's emergency systems kicked in and sealed the airlock off. It's still a ways farther, Rake said, continuing down the corridor. Better keep at it. Cavallon followed her into a maze of shorter, dimly lit hallways. At least ten minutes passed as they walked, and Cavallon wished he had one of those Legion-issued Nexus bands, just so he'd have some vague notion of the relative time of day. Yet another aspect of life in space he'd have to get used to, if they survived long enough for it to matter. Finally, they turned into a dead-end hallway with a closed door on either side. Rake swept her hand across one of the keypads, but it flashed red and gave a negative beep. She opened the comms interface on her Nexus. Jackin, it's Rake. Go for Jack. It's locked. Can you let us in? He responded after a brief pause. Puck's on it. Remember, boss, comms will be offline during the reboot, and mainframe systems will be down temporarily as well. They'll spool back up on their own one at a time, but we'll be dark for a little while. Understood. Rake shouldered a rifle. Cavallon fumbled with his strap, then did the same. Without even sparing him a glance, Rake added evenly. Finger off the trigger, please? He frowned, then carefully laid his finger on the side of the trigger guard. Sorry, sir. It'd be just perfect if he stumbled and shot the EX in the back. That'd get him spaced for sure. Moments later, the screen flashed green and the door slid open. Rake stepped inside, swinging her aim to clear the corners of the hot, cramped server room. She slung her rifle, then called Jack and back. He walked her through the steps to reboot the communications systems, and the mainframe, which, once Puck had hacked the system to give them clearance without a biometric scan, equated to throwing a couple of large levers, waiting a few minutes, then flipping them back on. When the screen beside the mainframe barrack indicated the commencement of a successful reboot, they started their trek back to the other side of the massive vessel. As they re-entered the maze of hallways that had led them to the starboard airlock, Cavallon found he still itched with unused potential, and he suddenly wished Mesa had cooled it a bit on the dose of epithesium. He was ready to crawl out of his skin. I have a follow-up question, Rake announced as they rounded a corner. About the boy. Cavallon's eyes widened. A follow-up question? That he had not seen coming. 
He cleared his throat and tried to act casual. Go ahead. Why did he care? She asked, tone fervent yet perplexed. About the shithead building the Guardians. They were meant to replace Legion's soldiers, but what repercussions did that have for the boy? It wasn't about him. What was it about then? Kavalon let out a long breath. Well, two points. One, replacing Legion soldiers with mindless clones might seem all nice and humanitarian on the outside, but it means one very bad thing. Which is? Well, so your troops are like robots, right? Fleshy and meaty, sure, but ones you can control. They may have protocols to act their rank autonomously, but that's all just for show. They're all the same, and you can control their every move if you want. So the real power would lie in only one place, with whoever's sitting at the controls. The man who made them, Rake confirmed. Right. So Augustus Mercer has control over the clones and thus control over the Legion. Cavalon nodded. And thus control over the SC. Sweat beaded under his collar as they turned a corner into a warmer corridor. Rake pushed her sleeves up to her elbows. Okay. And the second point? Let's just say the elder Mercer's interest in genetic engineering doesn't stop with creating fodder for wars. How so? Well, he said, scratching his chin. How caught up are you on Mercer family history? Viator War Era Edition. She blew out a long breath. The basics, I guess. What we learned in school. Renowned geneticists and genetic engineers who helped stop the virility mutagen from spreading, then reverse engineered it to turn it against the Viators. Some think that was the real tide of the war, that we'd never have been able to win without it. Right. So Augustus takes that legacy very, very seriously, and as a result has some, uh, interesting opinions about genetics. Like what? He thinks the Viator War was an opportunity, a chance for mankind to start fresh, a way to sculpt the human population into something unpolluted, clean, weed out the weak and ineffectual. Eugenics. He nodded, readjusting the strap of his rifle as it dug into the side of his neck. A thousand-year war with billions of deaths gives us a much smaller crop to choose from. In theory, some of the stronger and smarter folks survived. He thinks we need to take the chance to be more selective, breed a stronger, healthier species. But what about the mutagen? She asked. Some of the mutagens have taken generations to surface. That's not much of a clean start. Exactly. That's the whole problem. He has a relentless, obsessive need to correct it all. To thin every single genetic defect from the population, whether residual from the Viator War or just natural. Even things that aren't technically defects, just things he doesn't like. Rake rubbed the nape of her neck, shaking her head. Admittedly not great. But what's that have to do with cloning drudgers? I'd say for now it's about trust. The Mercer family supplies the SC with replacements for their Legion soldiers, and they get to send thousands and eventually millions of human daughters and sons and husbands and wives home alive and well. That puts him in a pretty good light in the eye of the general public. She shook her head. Sure, except the general public's not going to love the idea of using clones, drudger or otherwise. Five, ten years ago, I'd have said the same thing. 
but Augustus has been hard at work on that too. The Legion continues to push even peaceful Drudger clans farther into the outer sectors, while any anthropologists or scholars applying for visas to go study their cultures are summarily rejected. Rake pinched the bridge of her nose and gave a weary sigh. They're dehumanizing them. Exactly. We clone animals all the time. No one gives a shit. If drudgers are considered nothing more than simple creatures, Augustus will get far less backlash. Then the benefits will easily outweigh any residual distaste for cloning. All right, point taken. So he's got the people's trust, he builds his clones, then what? Then he can gain clout for his platform of using that same tech to perfect mankind along with a series of intense breeding laws, of course. It probably involves some kind of mass murder he'll call a horrific accident or some shit. It's just one piece of a massive, probably homicidal puzzle. It's always a longer game with him. She scoffed. The quorum would never go for any of that. He chewed his lip and didn't respond at first. She apparently had about as much misplaced faith in mankind's elected officials as she did the Legion. Why did he have to be the one to break it to her? A lot's changed since the war, he began carefully. The quorum's more firmly under the thumb of the Allied Monarchy's board than ever, and you already know who has control over the board. But genetic cleansing, she said, tone incredulous. Unease stiffened her expression as she pulled her hair from its tie, the elastic snap loud against her wrist in the lingering quiet of the empty corridor. It's one thing to keep the royals all interbreeding, but how could you possibly implement that across the core, never mind the outer colonies? It's too much. Not when you have a mind-controlled army at your disposal to ensure compliance. Rake aggressively retied her hair while cutting a hard left into the brightly lit starboard airlock corridor. Cavalon hurried to catch up. If the clones are meant to deputize soldiers, she said, her tone stiff and flat, as if reciting an official statement. That means the Guardians are part of the Legion. To use them to administer planet-side law enforcement, he'd need martial law. Then he'll find a way to get it. Cavalon said. It wouldn't be the first time he masked one conflict with another. What? You remember the labor strikes in the Benius system? Or the riots on Kieran III? Rake kept her brisk pace but threw a discerning look at him, edged with measured curiosity. No. Exactly. Augustus did his usual housekeeping. It wasn't systemic discrimination, it was safeguarding our future. Not a civil uprising, but an organized terrorist plot. Eventually, those kind of cover-ups weren't cutting it, and they would have done anything to stop it. Not excluding conveniently happening upon a Viator fleet. Rake shot him an incredulous look. Conveniently. A distraction. One that worked, I might add. Cavallon almost ran squarely into Rake's back as she stopped dead in her tracks. What? He began, but cut short when Rake clamped a hand over his mouth. She held a finger to her lips and stared down the airlock-lined corridor. The floor rumbled along with a hiss of air. Hand still over his mouth, Rake pulled him into a narrow alcove across the hall, jammed beside a vertical support beam. His stomach turned with a wave of nausea, the silence around them oppressive. 
Then came the short blare of an airlock siren, a hiss of air pressurizing, the sound of a door sliding open, and a shuffle of trundling footsteps, followed by the half-witted grunts of a half-dozen drudgers. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow Stories from Among the Stars on your preferred podcast app to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can find The Last Watch and its sequel, The Exiled Fleet, wherever books or audiobooks are sold. Thank you.